Ballycast presents news and interviews with performers and showmen. Some important words of warning, this podcast is not family-friendly. I'm not even thinking about it, so listen at your own risk. The performances and stunts described are not safe, even for experienced performers. Never attempt them without the direct supervision of someone who already performs them. Please use your common sense, and if you don't have any, stop listening now. Welcome to Ballycast, episode 173, brought to you free by Blue Ridge Entertainment for showmen, performers, and fans of the sideshow, carnival, and variety arts. I'm your host, Wayne Kaiser. The feature segment of today's show, those sweet children's books, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland and Through the Looking Glass. Turns out they're much more complicated than you might expect, and they're not entirely sweet. Certainly at the time, no one had a problem with the photos. The one that had her dressed as an orphan beggar and even shows a bit of her breast was so loved by her parents that they kept a hand-colored copy in a leather and velvet case. Also, news and much more. Well, 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 what's all this then? It's Ballycast. Here we go. Keep your hands and arms inside the car and remain seated until the ride comes to a complete stop. I want to recommend Playing for Change. You'll find them on their YouTube channel. They're a multimedia music project bringing together musicians and singers from across the globe. A small team takes a mobile recording studio and videos musicians live outdoors, then edits many musicians together and blends them into a single performance, starting each tune with a demo in the right key and tempo, and they have each performer listen to it with headphones and record the song in their own style. Playing for Change was born out of the idea that we have to inspire each other to come together as a human race, and that music is the best way to do this. The project started four years ago on the streets of Santa Monica, California, we recorded a street musician, Roger Ridley, performing the song Stand By Me. We then traveled all over the world through streets, subways, native Indian reservations, African villages, Himalayan mountains. We went to Dublin, recorded and filmed Bono. None of these musicians had ever met in person. It was the music that brought them together and the belief that we can do a lot more for this world if we work together than we ever can apart. The project has made wonderful videos of music in more than 50 countries across the world. And now, just for one example, here are musicians playing in Zimbabwe, Netherlands, Brazil, South Africa, India, Jamaica, Serbia, London, Paris, Chicago, Mississippi, Los Angeles, and New York. Brother, brother, there's far too many of you dying. You know we've got to find a way to bring 
War is not the answer For only love can conquer hate You know we've got to find a way While we're talking about kids... Ladies and gentlemen, in the center ring, we proudly present an exciting and unusual collection of wild animals. Each and every one of them balls, monkeys, tigers, bears, all with no fur. Wait, let's look again. Fuzzy Wuzzy was a bear. Fuzzy Wuzzy had no hair. But watch this. Take him from his cage, set him on a circus platform, and within three days, Fuzzy Wuzzy will grow his own fur. And then, use Fuzzy Wuzzy to wash. Because Fuzzy Wuzzy is made of wonderful mild soap. And the cleaner you get, the quicker you'll find the toy surprise that's inside of each Fuzzy Wuzzy. So look for Fuzzy Wuzzy circus animals in their cages. Fuzzy Wuzzy bath soap. It grows its own fur. From Television City in Hollywood. Oh, dear. I know you heard, but I have to note the death of Norman Lear, producer of All in the Family and a bunch of other memorable television series. But most memorable to me, he founded People for the American Way, 
a progressive advocacy group designed to protect democracy from so many right-wing challenges. I remember in 1971, I was working as a lowly, non-union cameraman at a CBS television station in Richmond when the first All in the Family was broadcast. Of course, the show was previewed for stations a day or two before because it might be controversial. I'm not prejudiced. Any man deserves my respect. He's going to get it regardless of his color. What do you call them names like black beauties for? Now, that's where I got you, Mr. Liberal. Because there's a black guy that works down the building with me, and he's got a bumper and a sticker on his car that says black is beautiful. Huh? So what's the matter with black beauties? <laughs> it's nicer than when he called them coons. <laughs> And in that racist town, I heard several of the staff say they ought to accidentally erase the tape. Didn't happen, idiots. Over the years, we came to love the characters, even grumpy and racist head of household Archie Bunker. What the hell is it nowadays? Will you tell me girls with skirts up to here, guys with hair down to there? <laughs> I stopped in a gents room the other day, so help me there was a guy in there with a ponytail. <laughs> My heart nearly turned over in me. I thought I was in the wrong toilet. It had many lessons that needed reminding. His pal Roger is as queer as a $4 bill, and he knows it. That's not only cruel, Daddy. That's an outright lie. You know something, Archie? Just because a guy is sensitive and, and, and he's an intellectual and he wears glasses, you make him out of queer. I never said a guy who wears glasses is a queer. A guy who wears glasses is a four-eyes. A guy who's a fag is a queer. <laughs> Now, let me tell you something. If your speaks in your space want their rightful share of the American dream, let them get out there and hustle for it just like I do. But the show also taught us how to see that flawed characters were still fully human, even when it was hard to see that through the offense. The scene that moved me most was the one that showed prejudiced Archie, after all he said about Jews, discovering that his ward Stephanie is Jewish and giving her a necklace with the Star of David. Oh, so I got something for you today here. Let's see, let's see. It's this here. See, I just happened to be passing the store. Oh. supposed to to go around your neck, so I'll do that for you. Yeah. Yeah, that ain't bad. You know, you gotta love somebody to give them one of them. I mean, you gotta love everything about them. As an adoptee myself, and my mother had her own particular problems, well, all these many years, a scene like this still makes me a bit teary. Thank you, Mr. Lear. What you created means a great deal.
All in the Family was played to a studio audience for live responses. A dish of cup, you press her tummy, arms go up. Little darling Susie, cute. Susie plays, Susie swings, and you can get her all these things. Little baby Susie, cute. Oh, yes, that's my baby Susie, cute. Girls, Susie cute needs a mummy. Susie cute needs you. Of course, you might aspire to something like this. He's here, my mystery day. Mystery day, are you ready for your mystery day? Don't be late, it could be great. Open the door for your mystery day. It's mystery day, the thrilling new game of romance and mystery that's just for you. And you, and you, and you. Mystery date. Will you be ready for swimming? Or a dance? When you open the door, will your mystery date be a dream? Or a dud? Oh! Fun and surprises. That's mystery date. Remember, Milton Bradley makes the best games in the world. So, girls, open the door for your mystery date. Get mystery date. We will return for the second act in just a moment. Strange things happen everywhere, and probably in every time. But at the end of the 19th century, strange things were happening with increasing regularity. In December 1844, Horace Wells, a Hartford dentist, watched a demonstration of nitrous oxide, known then as now as laughing gas, and he realized laughing gas could be used as an anesthetic for pulling teeth. To prove it, he had one of his own pulled the very next day. New ideas didn't bother Wells. He was an early proponent of oral hygiene and toothbrushes. As he experimented, he became addicted to chloroform. One day, in a drug-induced mania, he ran out in the street and splashed acid on two women. Jailed, he begged to visit his rooms to get his shaving kit. He returned to jail dosed himself very liberally with chloroform and calmly sliced the arteries of his thigh and felt nothing as he bled to death. Elevator going down and getting darker still.
maybe you're forgotten son one that offered twenty one it's sad to find myself at home and you you're not around if I could only hold your hand and say I'm sorry yes I am I'm sure you really understand oh my
Dodgson was a mathematics professor at Oxford University. Better known by his pen name, Lewis Carroll, he was also an author, poet, mathematician, inventor, and practitioner of the new technical sensation, photography. His most notable works, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, and its sequel, Alice Through the Looking Glass and What Alice Found There, cited by some as, after the Bible, the most quoted and referenced works in English literature. But, as so often happens with complex and intriguing people, there's a dark side to him as well. Dodgson was a professor of mathematics, specializing in geometry and logic. He lived most of his life as a scholar and professor at Christ Church, Oxford, what was called an Oxford Don. Oxford then was the school to attend. 
The school's dean, Henry Little, was a religious conservative married to his own first cousin, a woman descendants described as a dreadful snob. They had ten children. Conservative or not, they were kind of busy. The fourth child, Alice, is almost certainly the inspiration for Alice in Wonderland, though the author always denied it. And she almost always did. When Dodgson met Alice, she was around four and he was twenty-four. He had work to do in the school's library daily and from there had a view out to the garden where the children would often play. In his own youth, he became deaf in one ear from a fever, then a whooping cough left him with a chronically weak chest, and he spoke with a pronounced stammer. His temperament was dry and methodical. He embraced order above all. Everything around him had to be neat and fixed, and his posture was so upright that Alice later said he looked as if he had a poker stuck up him. In those days, Oxford dons had to take holy orders and be celibate. He was noted for his very inventive wordplay, logic games, and fantasy, and he took to writing poetry and short stories to help him forget his physical difficulties. He took special delight in exploring logic and puzzles. How do we know what is true, and how can we prove what we think is true? And here, children, is where the mystery begins. There are many hidden references to the real Alice in the texts of both books. Dodgson enjoyed taking the children, always accompanied by an adult friend, on rowing trips, first the brother Harry and then the three girls. On one such long voyage on a golden afternoon in the heat of July 1862, ten-year-old Alice asked him for a story to entertain her and the others, her sisters, eight-year-old Edith and thirteen-year-old Lorena. So he couldn't resist. He did tell a story, clearly making it up as they rode and drifted down the stream, diverting them with a tale full of in-jokes and references to real places they all knew well, peppered with parodies of popular poems of the day. The story was about a young girl named Alice. Ward was sitting around the riverbank as her older sister is reading a boring book. Alice was beginning to get very tired of sitting by her sister on the bank and of having nothing to do. Once or twice she had peeped into the book her sister was reading, but it had no pictures or conversations in it. And what is the use of a book, thought Alice, without pictures or conversations? So she was considering in her own mind, as well as she could, for the hot day made her feel very sleepy and stupid, whether the pleasure of making a daisy chain would be worth the trouble of getting up and picking the daisies, when suddenly a white rabbit with pink eyes ran close by her. The child drifts into a dream and follows a white rabbit down its surprisingly deep rabbit hole, and falling... 
She finds herself in a world where the normal social rules, the rules Dodgson depended on and needed to cling to, the rules that children were expected to learn, those rules did not apply, not one little bit. Down, down, down. Would the fall never come to an end? I wonder how many miles I've fallen by this time, said Alice. When he had finished telling the story, Alice asked him to write it down. This one she wanted to preserve, more than any of the other stories he had told. He took two years or so and produced a carefully handwritten, illuminated manuscript without a single mistake, no blotches, nothing crossed out, Alice's Adventures Underground. At the time, most readers would recognize the popular poems which gave rise to those in the book. Here are some examples. How doth the little crocodile improve his shining tail and pour the waters of the Nile on every golden scale? How cheerfully he seems to grin, how neatly spreads his claws and welcomes little fishes in with gently smiling jaws. How doth the little crocodile is a parody of Isaac Watts's nursery rhyme against idleness and mischief. How doth the little busy bee improve each shining hour and gather honey all the day from every opening flower. How skilfully she builds her cell, how neat she spreads the wax, and labours hard to store it well with the sweet food she makes. In works of labour or in skill, I would be busy too, for Satan finds some mischief still for idle hands to do. In books or work or helpful play, let my first years be past, that I may give for every day some good account at last. Robert Southey's The Old Man's Comfort and How He Gained Them. You are old, Father William, the young man cried. The few locks which are left you are gray. You are hale, Father William, a hearty old man. Now tell me the reason, I pray. In the days of my youth, Father William replied, I remembered that youth would fly fast, and abuse not my health and my vigor at first, that I never might need them at last. Appears in Carol's book as You Are Old, Father William. You are old, Father William, the young man said, and your hair has become very white, and yet you incessantly stand on your head. Do you think at your age it is right? In my youth, Father William replied to his son, I feared it might injure the brain. But now that I'm perfectly sure I have none, why, I'll do it again and again. You are old, said the youth, as I mentioned before, and have grown most uncommonly fat. Yet you turned a back somersault in at the door. Pray, what is the reason of that? In my youth said the sage, as he shook his grey locks. I kept all my limbs very supple. By the use of this ointment, one shill in the box, allow me to sell you a couple. You are old, said the youth, and your jaws are too weak for anything rougher than suet. 
Yet you finished the goose with the bones and the beak. Pray, how did you manage to do it? In my youth, said his father, I took to the law and argued each case with my wife. And the muscular strength which it gave me jaw has lasted the rest of my life. You are old, said the youth. One would hardly suppose that your eye was as steady as ever. Yet you balance an eel on the end of your nose. What made you so awfully clever? I have answered three questions, and that is enough, said his father. Don't give yourself airs. Do you think I can listen all day to such stuff? Be off, and I'll kick you downstairs. Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Bat is, of course, a parody of Jane Taylor's Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. Isaac Watts is the sluggard. Tis the voice of the sluggard. I heard him complain. You have waked me too soon. I must slumber again. As the door on its hinges, so he on his bed turns his sides and his shoulders and his heavy head. A little more sleep and a little more slumber. Thus he wastes half his days and his hours without number. And when he gets up, he sits folding his hands or walks about sauntering or trifling he stands. I passed by his garden and saw the wild briar, the thorn and the thistle grow broader and higher. The clothes that hang on him are turning to rags, and his money still wastes till he starves or he begs. I made him a visit, still hoping to find he had took better care for improving his mind. He told me his dreams, talked of eating and drinking, but he scarce reads his Bible and never loves thinking. Said I then to my heart, here's a lesson for me. That man's but a picture of what I might be. But thanks to my friends for their care in my breeding, who taught me betimes to love working and reading. Here becomes Tis the Voice of the Lobster. Tis the voice of the lobster, I heard him declare. You have baked me too brown, I must sugar my hair. As a duck with its eyelids, so he with his nose, trims his belt and his buttons and turns out his toes. When the sands are all dry, he is gay as a lark, and will talk in contemptuous tones of the shark. But when the tide rises and sharks are around, his voice has a timid and tremulous sound. I passed by his garden and marked with one eye how the owl and the panther were sharing a pie. The panther took pie crust and gravy and meat, while the owl got the dish as his share of the treat. When the pie was all finished, the owl, as a boon, was kindly permitted to pocket the spoon. While the panther received knife and fork with a growl, and concluded the banquet by eating the owl. And there are several others scattered about the volumes. Alice was delighted. Others were equally enthusiastic, and a publisher quickly snapped it up. Dodgson had written under a pen name, Lewis Carroll, but after publication, he instructed the Oxford porters to refuse any letters that came to Lewis Carroll. Likewise, he didn't like being photographed, and he didn't want to be recognized on the street. 
Seven years later, he came forth with Through the Looking Glass and What Alice Found There in 1871. That story is packed with puzzles equal to those he had told in the boat with the children that long ago afternoon. As the second tale begins, we find the same Alice playing with a white kitten and a black kitten. Let's pretend that you're the Red Queen, Kitty. Do you know, I think if you sat up and folded your arms, you'd look exactly like her. Now do try, there's a dear. And Alice got the Red Queen off the table and set it up before the kitten as a model for it to imitate. However, the thing didn't succeed, principally, Alice said, because the kitten wouldn't fold its arms properly. So she held it up to the looking glass, that it might see how sulky it was. And if you're not good directly, she added, I'll put you through into Looking Glass House. How would you like that? Now, if you'll only attend, Kitty, and not talk so much, I'll tell you all my ideas about Looking Glass House. First, there's the room you can see through the glass. That's just the same as our drawing room, only things go the other way. I can see all of it when I get up on a chair. All but the bit just behind the fireplace. Oh, I do so wish I could see that bit. I want so much to know whether they've a fire in the winter. You never can tell, you know. Unless our fire smokes, and then smoke comes up in that room too. But that may be only pretense, just to make it look as if they had a fire. The books are something like our books. Only the words go the wrong way. I know that because I've held up one of our books to the glass and then they hold up one in the other room. How would you like to live in Looking Glass House, Kitty? I wonder if they'd give you milk in there. Perhaps Looking Glass milk isn't good to drink. But, oh, Kitty, now we come to the passage. You can just see a little peep of the passage in Looking Glass House if you leave the door of our drawing room wide open. And it's very like our passage, as far as you can see. Only you know it may be quite different on beyond. Alice pokes at the mirror on the wall behind the fireplace and discovers that she can... she can melt right through it. She ends up in a reflected version of her own house and finds a book with poetry, Jabberwocky, whose reversed printing she can read only by holding it up to the mirror. "'Twas brillig, and the slithy toves did guile and gimble in the wabe. All mimsy were the borrow-groves, and the mome-wraths outgrabe. "'Beware the jabberwock, my son, the jaws that bite, the claws that catch. "'Beware the jubjub bird, and shun the frumious bandersnatch.' "'He took his vorpal sword in hand. Long time the manxome foe he sought, so rested he by the tum-tum tree, and stood a while in thought. And as in uffish thought he stood, the jabberwock with eyes of flame came whiffling through the tuggly wood, and burbled as it came. One, two, one, two, and through, and through, the vorpal blade went snicker-snack. He left it dead, and with its head he went galumphing back. And hast thou slain the Jabberwock? Come to my arms, my beamish boy, O oh, frabjous day, canoe, canay, he chortled in his joy. T'was brillig, 
and the slithy toves did gyre and gimble in the wabe. All mimsy were the borrow groves, and the mome wraths outgrabe. The countryside outside is laid out like a chessboard in huge squares, and as she travels through it, always in accordance with chess rules, Alice at the end becomes a queen. But there's a lot to go through to get to the end, requiring an odd logic, much too twisted for a regimented man like Dodgson. Just under the surface, the story is laid out, incident by incident, white pieces and black, knight and queen, like a chess puzzle, and it also plays with the concept of a world that both looks backwards and time that runs backwards, a world of perilous unpredictability. But I don't want to go among mad people, Alice remarked. Oh, you can't help that, said the cat. We're all mad here. I'm mad, you're mad. How do you know I'm mad, said Alice. You must be, said the cat, or you wouldn't have come here. And as many have recently noted, that's the world we find ourselves currently in. The fictional Alice was independent and different, but in the Victorian world, people who were independent and very different or inconvenient some of them women who were especially strong-willed as the real Alice was in life, were often locked away. In the story, rationality itself has entirely fallen apart. Alice's encounters with the odd characters of each book are really very much like a child's experience of the adult world. They're always shouting things that you don't understand, but they expect you to understand. Just at this opportune time, the public was able to take up a new art form, photography. Young girls are the subject of more than half of Dodgson's surviving photographs. He did photograph other subjects, men and boys, landscapes, skeletons, dolls, dogs, statues, paintings. All of these pictures of children were taken with a parent in attendance. There is on the episode webpage a photograph of Lorena fully nude. It was different in that day. Many Victorian photographers used pictures of naked children to express innocence, as one commonly sees in Renaissance paintings featuring naked little angels. In that day, children were seen as entirely non-sexual. The age of consent was twelve. It's clearly not right to apply today's standards to the established conventions of a past society. Certainly at the time, no one had a problem with the photos. The one that had her dressed as an orphan beggar and even shows a bit of her breast was so loved by her parents that they kept a hand-colored copy in a leather and velvet case. But there had been gossip circulating about Dodgson's romantic interests, speculating on whether he preferred Alice, Lorena, or even the children's governess. He ceased visiting any of the family after that. When Lorena was in her eighties, she was asked about the littles coming to exclude Dodgson. She replied that their mother thought his manner became too affectionate toward Alice as she grew older and spoke to him about it, and that offended him. A few months later he was invited back, but his manner had become formal and distant, as you might expect. 
Dodson had many what he described as child friends, some of them girls in their late teens and even twenties. He always met them in the presence of parents, and many of the children remained cordial to him in later years. Alice married in 1880 when she was 28. Dodson met with the couple the next year, and as he wrote in his diary afterwards, it was not easy for me to associate this new face with the one I remember for a long time in my mind, this stranger with that Alice whom I knew so well and loved, and whom I will always remember as an infinitely charming seven-year-old girl. She invited Dodgson to be the godfather of her first child, but he declined. Later, in World War One, she volunteered as a nurse, and two of her three sons were killed in that great conflict. In 1932, Alice was interviewed about an upcoming trip to America. It is a, a great honor and a great pleasure to come over here. I think now my adventures overseas. Will be almost as interesting as my adventures underground. Well, the real Alice died in 1934, and aside from interviews like this, she always denied that she was the inspiration for the little girl who had had such curious adventures in the land she found down a rabbit hole. Questions about his relations to these girls and their families continue to hang over him. Evidence from so far back is necessarily very limited. Much of it comes from the meticulous diaries he kept, but at least four volumes of his diaries are missing, along with several pages of additional text from another volume. Little descendants recall directly that the mother had burned all of the letters Alice received from Dodgson, and she probably burned the diaries as well. There were also rumors at the time about him and Lorena. Very likely, he felt romantic love for Alice, but he would never have admitted that to himself. Clearly, he deeply longed for a happy domesticity with someone, and who really does not? In 1982, a memorial stone to him was placed in Poets' Corner of Westminster Abbey. Over long years, both stories have been illustrated by masters. The original artist, Sir John Tenniel, found Carroll very controlling, requiring numerous changes and reworkings. But these helped the book become an instant bestseller. It has never been out of print since the days it was first published in 1865. Over the many intervening years, other artists, including Beatrix Potter, Salvador Dali. Ralph Steadman and many others have set their hand to interpreting the tale, and the stories have been redone by others, usually reshaped, twisted out of all recognition in the ensuing years. Versions far removed from the book, like movies, have strayed from the charm of Carroll's well-thought-out original. They always become strictly surface level and lose every bit of sly nuance. Far from the reflective pace born of a dream on a sleepy afternoon, children have nothing but time. The reader feels like Wonderland is a hidden place known by only a few people, just as your dreams are. The original stories endure, 
and they retain every bit of their inventiveness and charm, and they will continue to repay additional readings over your long years and mine. At the end of Through the Looking Glass, an acrostic poem, a poem in which the initial letters of each line spell out her name in full, Alice Pleasant's Little. We'll be hearing that in a moment.
A boat beneath a sunny sky, lingering onward dreamily in an evening of July. Children three that nestle near, eager eye and willing ear, pleased a simple tale to hear. Long has paled that sunny sky, echoes fade and memories die. Autumn frosts have slain July. Still she haunts me, phantom-wise, Alice moving under skies, Never seen by waking eyes. Children yet, the tale to hear, Eager eye and willing ear, Lovingly shall nestle near. In a wonderland they lie, dreaming as the days go by, dreaming as the summers die. Ever drifting down the stream, lingering in a golden dream. Life, what is it but a dream? the door and found found that it led into a small passage not much larger than a rat hole. She knelt down and looked along the passage into the loveliest garden you ever saw. How she longed to get out of that dark hall and wander about among those beds of bright flowers and those cool fountains. But she could not even get her head through the 